I don't know of a song that more clearly expounds the gospel of Jesus Christ than that song. And if your spirit and your heart doesn't jump in worship at the thought of what Christ has done for us in response to those words, I don't know what will. Um, it's uh, amazing to me that the people of God, in some places, not here obviously, can sit and sing words like that and not become overwhelmed with joy at the thought of the work of Christ upon our life. Um, our God is worth so much more than we give Him. Amen. And it's time for us as a church to stand up and look like we have a message worth singing about. Um, anyway, side note. Uh, don't forget tonight, for those of you who are interested in going with us to Scotland, we will have a meeting directly after service tonight uh, back here in this back room. And so if you're even interested in coming, I need to know that tonight so we can know whether or not uh, the trip will happen. So if you meet me right back in that back room immediately after service tonight, that would be awesome. All right. Tonight, we're going to continue our study, the idea that Jesus is better. Remember, our major point of the whole series is simply this, that the whole Bible is about Jesus. When you read the Old Testament, as I've said before, it's not a collection of good stories. It's not even about the people of Israel alone. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament anticipates the coming of Christ. The Gospels, of course, reflect the coming of Christ. And the rest of the New Testament reflects upon that first coming of Christ and anticipates a second coming of Christ. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And to this point, we've talked about how figures in the Old Testament have foreshadowed work that Jesus will do in a more complete and better way in his coming. We've talked about Adam at this point, Abraham. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Boaz, and David. And tonight, we continue our study by talking about Elijah. Jesus comes as the true and better Elijah. And kind of the major point for tonight that I want to hit home with you guys is this. Jesus is the better Elijah and that he is not simply a prophet who represents God to his people. He is God. It's the difference between having, say, like a Celine Dion CD and the actual person of Celine Dion. A lot of you gave me flack last week about talking about Celine at great length, but I'll have you know that you remembered every single point that was associated with Celine Dion last week. So I will continue to use the metaphor of the great Celine Dion because not only is she a great singer, she's a great illustration. God has blessed her in many ways. But it's the difference between having a CD or a magazine article about Celine Dion versus having Celine Dion. That's the difference between having a prophet and the actual son of God. So, of course, Jesus is better than Elijah because he is not just proclaiming about the coming of God. He is, in fact, the fulfillment of that prophecy. So let's take a moment and reflect upon the role of the prophets in the Old Testament. It's important to recognize that prophets in the Old Testament have a special, specific function. They were not the regular teachers of the Word of God. That was reserved for the priest. But on occasion, because the people of God had wandered so far away from the law of God, God raised up particular men, prophets, for particular times in the Old Testament narrative. Some of the reminders the prophets often gave to the people of God were that Yahweh is the only true God. 
He's the only one worthy of our affection and worship. He demands exclusive worship. And if you do not recognize him as the one true God and give him exclusive worship, you as his chosen people will meet his wrath. God gets angry and he carries a big stick. In fact, uh, (laughs) uh, prophets in the Old Testament kind of had a bad cloud follow them wherever they went. Uh, There's a story actually reflective on last week when Samuel comes to Jesse to anoint a new king after the mantle of leadership has left Saul. uh, Jesse, the first thing Jesse asks of Samuel when he comes up to his house is this, do you come in peace? Because prophets, when they came to your house, typically did not bring good news. Kind of like Debbie Downer. As soon as they said something, it was like, wah, wah. I mean, completely terrible thing. It's like when you have, you're dating that girl in high school that has that reputation about breaking up with people. And her best friend, who always does the dirty work, comes to have a one-on-one conversation with you. You don't know where you stand with this girl and you think it's coming. Kind of like that kind of thing. This person typically represented the bad, bad news. And when they showed up, you knew something was going to happen. So uh, that's kind of where Elijah fits in the narrative of the New Testament. He is a prophet. He's a prophet who has been raised up to remind the people of God that God is the one true God. He demands exclusive worship. And if you do not turn your hearts back to worship him and him alone, if you do not worship, Yahweh is the one and only true God. If you allow other gods to come between you and Yahweh, bad things are going to happen. And in this time, there was a great deal of attention given to Baal, who was a false god, a pagan god, and also Asherah, who was a goddess we discover in the Eucharistic texts. Um, basically, she was uh, the, the connotation or the personification of, of, of goddess worship. So probably she's in this particular area because of Ahab's wife, Jezebel. Jezebel was not a nice woman, and she and Elijah had continued battles throughout his time as a prophet in uh, the Old Testament. So basically, two major idols, two major false gods, preoccupy the people of God in this narrative. So let's talk about the setup. How do we encounter Elijah in his greatest moment with the people of God? If you look at 1 Kings 16, 29-17-1, you'll see that Ahab has been chosen by God to be the king of Israel. And he did a lot of bad things in the sight of the Lord, including building a temple to this guy, Baal and Asherah. And so Elijah is called up by God to approach Ahab and tell him, if you do not quit leading my people astray, I'm going to send a drought upon your land. And you see this in 17.1. Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So because the people of God under Ahab's leadership had forgotten their covenant with him, that they were to keep the law of God, reflect the glory of God to the nations by showing the blessing of God upon his people, because they began to turn their hearts and affections toward the gods of other nations, the Lord sends judgment upon them through his prophet Elijah. And this this, uh, judgment comes in the form of a drought. 
Three years pass, and then Elijah is called by God to return and confront Ahab and deliver this dramatic challenge. It's kind of like a standoff, a spaghetti western, Clint Eastwood against this guy dressed in black, right? Here it comes, the big challenge, the showdown, sundown in the Old West, beginning in 18 verse 17. Let's read together. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, you know, a lot of times we like to blame the people who bring the bad news instead of looking at ourselves as the cause of the bad news. And Ahab, of course, is doing this to Elijah. You spoke the word of God over Israel. This is your fault, forgetting that it was precisely because of his failure to lead the people of God in holiness that the drought came about in the first place. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, here's the challenge. Send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood. But put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So a test is brought up before the people of God who are worshiping a false god and the one prophet that remains, Elijah. Put this bull on an altar. And we're going to see what God will answer your prayers to rain down fire from on high. So the prophets of Baal surround their altar with the bull upon it, and they begin to cry out for Baal and Asherah to rain down fire upon this altar. They cut themselves. They weep. Elijah actually ridicules them as they're doing this because I'm sure they look like idiots running around this sacrificial altar, cutting themselves and crying and weeping. And then we see the true response in verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water. And pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Now remember, they are in drought. This is a big deal that he's doing this because they're wasting their water, quote unquote, on this sacrifice. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of the oblation, 
Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Incredible, incredible story that exemplifies for us the lesson that the prophets were teaching throughout the Old Testament. God is a mighty God. He is worthy of our worship. We should fear and tremble even thinking about worshiping another as they did. So Elijah functions in this passage as God's prophet in three ways that I want to look at tonight that will show us in a greater way the function of Christ later on. Number one, Elijah as the prophet of God speaks the word of God. It's often the case in the Old Testament. The people of God over and over again let themselves be led astray by false gods, marrying and by other nations, uh, you name it. They allowed themselves to be led astray from their devotion to the one true God, specifically underneath the leadership of Ahab and Jezebel in this particular text. They wanted to be like other nations. They saw the power the intrigue of other nations. And they let their affections be to be like the other nations instead of allowing their affections to be solely on this God who had blessed them so richly. And God, of course, was not pleased. Because the whole people of Israel had been blinded to his voice, God had to raise up a man to, again, be the mediator between, between him and his people. This is an important remember, or reminder for us tonight. When you and I allow our affections from God, for God, to be stolen by other things, it prevents and prohibits us from hearing him speak to us. When you allow sin as a child of God to come into your life, you inhibit your ability to hear God speak. And you begin to give more of an ear to the things that steal your affection from God because you allow them to become appealing to you once again, even though you know God has called them to be put to death. So oftentimes in our lives, we need prophets. We need people to come alongside of us and speak into our lives whenever we're allowing our hearts and affections to be turned away from God. This, by the way, is why we do accountability on Monday nights. You are not meant to walk this road alone. You and I are redeemed. You and I are reconciled to God, yes, but we live in a world that is not. And if you are not careful, you will do the exact same thing that the people of God did in the Old Testament and allow things that God created to be a reflection of him to come into your life and steal the place that he rightfully deserves. And you'll fall back into temptation that you had thought you had been rescued from. You allow fear, pride, 
lust, envy, old masters to once again have authority in your life. And you need people around you who are walking with God to speak into your life and remind you that that is not who God created you to be. That's what Elijah did for the people of God, in a miraculous way even. This is not who God called you to be. This is not the agreement that he had with you. You are not functioning as the holy people of God. And what a shame that we do need prophets in our lives. But the sad reality is is that all of us walk the same road. And all of us need holy people around us to call us in to accountability with what God has called us to. Who do you have surrounding you? Who's able to speak truth into your life, even hard truth, to say, listen, you're walking down the exact same road that you promised God you would never walk again? Who has that freedom to speak into your life? Who has the freedom to make you angry for the glory of God? Have you given anyone that license? Have you given anyone that permission in your life? Because if you haven't, I promise you, you'll find yourself in the same position the people of God did. Wandering away, excusing sin in your life. Because we do that, don't we? These sins that we hold on to, we'll excuse them, we'll justify them. Oh, it's not really that bad. I'm not as bad as this guy over here. I'm not Charlie Sheen. Well, who is, right? According to that, to that standard, who wouldn't be holy and righteous? No, you need someone to speak into your life, to have complete freedom to call you into holy submission because ultimately your life should be about the glory of God, not the glory of yourself. And if that is true, then someone should have access to your life to speak truth into your life. A prophetic function for today. So Elijah functions as a prophet by speaking the word of God. And secondly, he functions as a prophet by revealing the glory of God. Elijah reminds the people of God how much better Yahweh is than their created gods. He burns up a drenched, dead cow with fire from heaven. What a fireworks display. Can you even imagine the sight of fire falling down from heaven? What an incredible display of God's glory. And yet it wasn't the first time the people of God saw this. Their ancestors walked through a wilderness with a pillar of cloud and a pillar pillar of fire leading them, guiding them. And yet they had forgotten. They had been turned away. They had been led astray. And God reminded them by exhibiting his glory. And not just in some magical fire from heaven kind of way. He also revealed the glory of God by showing the full character of God, including his wrath. Look down at the end of the passage we read tonight in verse 40. And Elijah said to them after the water uh, at the fire had fallen, seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Slaughtered them. 
all of the prophets. And remember, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, 850 people slaughtered, slaughtered, and all to show forth the glory of God. A lot of people look at the Old Testament and they see things like this and they say, where is the God of mercy? Where is the God of love? Where is the God of grace? My friends, do not be mistaken. God is a jealous God. He is worthy of our worship. He demands our worship. And when you and I allow any other idol to come into our lives and steal the worship that is rightly due him, his full character, his righteousness, his holy, his wrath demands, demands that that idolatry be accounted for. There must be an accounting, must be an accounting for worship that is meant for God being given to something else. The glory of God falls. It burns up a soaked altar and it falls hard on 850 prophets who lose their life to glorify the righteousness and justice of God. So Elijah, the prophet, reveals the glory of God. And thirdly, Elijah brings forth the blessing of God. If you keep on reading, the end of 18. Elijah said to Ahab, verse 41, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees, And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew back with the clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. Elijah speaks forth the judgment of God upon Israel because the Lord had to remind his people, his children, of his great sufficiency and provision for them. And as soon as he brought them to a place where they were reminded of their great need for him, he released his judgment, his discipline, and let his blessing fall. An incredible reminder for us tonight. You and I, in our lives, yes, We stray away from what God has called us to, and maybe the Lord calls us into a time of discipline. Maybe the Lord speaks a drought upon your life in order to remind you of your great need for him. But my friends, do not be discouraged. That discipline is not forever. The discipline that God gives to his children is always meant to remind his children of their great need for him. And when you come in brokenness before him, acknowledging your need for him, he will remove that discipline and allow his blessing to fall. That's what he did for the people of God here in Israel. Yes, there was a time of drought, a time of remembrance, But then he let his blessing fall. We must remember that moments of discipline are meant to bring us back to the Lord. 
not make us run from him. He may choose to make us thirst so that we turn to him and have our thirst satisfied by him. So, how then is Jesus better? How is he the true and better Elijah? Let's look at Hebrews 1 quickly. I read this earlier during our prayer time. Verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What an incredible statement. The exact imprint of the nature of God. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. My friends, you and I don't need an intermediary any longer between man and God because we have the perfect intermediary, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't simply speak the word of God. He is the word of God. Of course, you see this in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is divine communication. He is the incarnate logos. He is the fullness of God's power and revelation expressed. He speaks the He speaks forth the will of God and brings it about. He speaks the desired restoration of all things and acts to bring about the restoration of all things. Much like the speaking of creation into existence, God the Father speaks and it is so by the hand of Christ and the movement of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, when he takes on flesh and dwells among us, is the perfect revelation of God the Father. You and I don't have to worry any longer about what God desires from us, what his standard is for us. We have seen it in all of its fullness in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what a gracious God. Yes, he is a judge. Yes, he will rule over us. But it's not like he says, you have a standard to meet that I'm not going to tell you about. He shows you completely what his expectation is. And not only that, gives you the power by which you are able to meet that expectation. An incredible, gracious God who communicates to his people. We don't have to wonder. We know. And that's why it's so important for us, my friends, to get into the Bible, and read about Jesus. Some of you wonder what the will of God is for your life. Some of you wonder what God wants from you. He has already told you in his word. Are you pursuing it? 
Are you taking advantage of the fact that God is a God of revelation and has perfectly revealed himself through his Son and in his divinely inspired word? Jesus doesn't simply speak the word of God. He is the word of God. Not only that, Jesus doesn't simply reveal the glory of God. He is the glory of God revealed. You see this later in John chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of God the Father, full of grace and truth. This time, the glory of God was not reserved to a tent or a tabernacle, nor the inner room of a temple. The glory of God was housed in human flesh. And you thought fire from heaven was cool. The glory of God living in human flesh. And this is the most amazing event in all of human history. You guys got to wrap your mind around this. The eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, infinitely holy Son of God took on human nature and lived among humanity as one who was both God and man at the same time and the same person. How incredible. The God-man, Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament beholding the glory of God was a death sentence. Unless you were like, the high priest who had been ritually purified to go into the inner part of the temple to deliver sacrifice for Israel, which most people weren't. And the Old Testament, beholding the glory of God with a death sentence. You remember in Exodus 33, Moses asks to behold the glory of God. He says, I can't do that to you. I'll kill you. So it says that he sees the leftovers of his glory. He gets the, the behind shot of God, right? It's like the, that's what it literally says. He gets to see his behind I don't know what that looks like, but that's what it is. But now, guys, what was death for us in the Old Testament under the New Covenant, we now can look upon something that was meant or that would have brought us death, and now we look upon it and see that it brings us life. An incredible transition. Now we can see things like, God, show me your glory. We can ask for God's glory to fall. We can praise the fact that God's glory is evident all around us, and that is possible because of what Jesus Christ did. He not only called the glory of God, he not only revealed the glory of God to his people, he was the glory of God. And finally, Jesus doesn't just bring forth the blessing of God. He is the greatest blessing of God. In the same way, that Elijah released the people of Israel from drought through rain. Jesus allows the people of God to have full access of, to God by bringing forth the Holy Spirit of God. You've heard me say this before, but a lot of people think that this purpose of God is selfish in some way. Is it selfish for God to create a people, to call a people, and demand that they worship him. Is it selfish for God to say, your chief goal is to glorify me? My question for those people, and has been for always, 
how could it be selfish when God cannot give us anything better than himself? The deepest longings of humanity to be loved, to find peace, to find joy and satisfaction, all of those things are perfectly realized in the person of God. If you want love, don't go looking in all the wrong places. Go to God, who is infinitely and eternally love. If you want peace, don't go look to America, especially now. Don't rely upon some government or some relationship to find security and peace. Go to the place where peace is infinite and perfect in God. It's not selfish of God to give us himself. It's the very best thing that God can give to us. And in giving Jesus his son, he gives us the greatest gift that has ever been given. Because Jesus not only satisfies our basic human needs, he satisfies our spiritual, eternal needs. When you and I were separated from God, with no hope and no ability to work our way back into the favor of God, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus took upon the full weight of our sin, became our propitiation, our wrath bearer, so that he could be separated so you and I could be reunited to God. What greater blessing is there than that? Jesus doesn't just bring forth the blessing of God. He is the blessing of God. And my friends, this is not only fulfillment for us. Jesus is the fulfillment for all of creation. Remember Romans eight nineteen, Creation eagerly awaits the people of God, the sons of God, to grasp the concept that Jesus is making all things new and go out and bring all of creation into reconciliation underneath the God-man, Jesus Christ. He's not just the hope for us. He's not just the blessing for us. He is the blessing and hope for all things. And that's where the church comes in. Because you and I take the blessing of God And we reveal that blessing of God to a world in need and show that God has not given up on his creation. Indeed, he has a plan and a purpose for all things, for them to be united, Ephesians 1 says, underneath Christ. So what does this mean for me? Number one, are you living as a modern day prophet? Here's what I mean by that. You and I are called to do very much the same thing that Elijah did. You and I are called for a moment in time to stand up in a culture to a people that Romans 1 says has hardened their heart toward the truth about God. And we are to proclaim the sufficiency of God alone, that he is the one true God, that he is worthy of our worship. And when you and I do not recognize that he is the one true God and give him all of our worship, there will be judgment. Except now you and I can proclaim something even better. 
that Jesus has taken that judgment upon himself. And while you were a child of wrath, now you can become a son of God by the grace and mercy of God. Do you speak the word of God by speaking about Jesus? Is Jesus continually on your lips at work, at school, at home? Are you ashamed of him? Do you hesitate to speak about him? You know, we're in this tension right now that Tim Keller says is a separation of sacred and secular. And the Bible does not teach that. There's not part of your life that is reserved for worldly things and part of your life that is reserved for holy things. Your whole life now is about Christ. And he must continually be on your lips because he is your hope and the hope of all those around you. Do you speak the word of God by speaking about Jesus? Secondly, do you reveal the glory of God by revealing how Jesus has transformed your life? We talked about this at great length in the Bible. Anytime someone has had a truly transformative encounter with the Lord, they can't shut up about it. The Samaritan woman at the well, searching for all kinds of satisfaction, the Lord delivers her, gives her water that will cause her to never thirst again, and she runs back into Samaria and calls many Samaritans to faith in Christ. I could give you example after example in the Bible of people who have encountered the Lord, who have been transformed by God and cannot stop speaking about it. Because when Jesus transforms your life and you see people around you living in the exact same frustration and darkness and emptiness that you lived in, you've got to tell them. How can you keep that to yourself? And what better way to glorify God than proclaiming his sufficiency in your life? And in doing so, calling others to reconciliation as well. And finally, do you bring forth the blessing of God by sharing the gospel of Jesus? When I say gospel here, I mean both senses. Do you bring forth the blessing of God spiritually and physically? Remember, the gospel is not just about the means of the gospel. It is about the means of the gospel that you and I are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But it's also about the trajectory of the gospel, where that gospel is taking us. Reconciliation, restoration of all things. And both things must be present in our lives to look like fully functioning disciples of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus just did not forgive sins. He also healed people. He fed people. He clothed people. And you and I must do the same. We must be the blessing of God to others. That does not mean that we forsake the former. We still have to talk about sin. We still got to talk about judgment and how Jesus is the only way to escape that. But we don't ignore the hard things like giving people money Letting them stay with us in our house or our home 
We don't ignore those things because they're inconvenient, because Jesus did not ignore inconvenient things for us. In fact, in Matthew 25, he says that the way in which you care for the poor, the way in which you care for the prisoner, the way in which you care for the abandoned and oppressed reflects your love relationship with me. If you have been blessed by God, you will want to bless others. If you love God, you will love others. It's impossible to have a transformed heart by the gospel of Jesus Christ and not affect the way that you look at others. Impossible. So do you bring forth the blessing of God by sharing the gospel of Jesus? Here's the reality, guys. There's a famine going on. There's a drought going on in America and around the world. There are people starving and thirsting for meaning in their life. Maybe some of you in here. And they're eating away at stuff. And they're drinking stuff. But it's running out. And it's not satisfying. How long will you and I sit on a message that promises fulfillment and not share it? How long will we come into rooms like this and proclaim with authority and conviction, with our hands raised, our devotion and complete submission to the gospel of Jesus Christ and then go out into the world and look like this never happened? The Bible says that the harvest is ripe. But the workers are few. Listen, my friends, it's not that the harvest isn't out there. The Holy Spirit is working. He is calling us to go out and proclaim boldly, as Elijah did, the sufficiency of God the Father. It's not as if there's no people out there who need to hear this gospel. The problem is, is there's not enough people who are willing to go tell them. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Will you be a prophet? Will you boldly proclaim what Christ has done for you? And will you see the blessing of God fall and the glory of God fall in ways that will make this fire from heaven look like a little camp thing? God is doing a mighty work. And I pray that we will join. As the band comes back up, I just want us to sit in prayer for a minute. Just bow your heads where you are. Consider what the Lord has taught us tonight. Is Jesus continually on your lips? Is it easy for you or hard for you to speak about the Lord? Why? Has he transformed your life? Isn't that something worth telling people? Are you committed to displaying the blessing of God 
around the world. In your apartment complexes, down your street, in your state. God has called us to be a holy people, his people. To display his goodness and his fulfillment and his joy to people in need. Elijah did it when he was one amongst 850. You and I got a room of 200 tonight. We got people who got our backs. Are you willing to step out on faith and lift Jesus high? Father, I pray you would work among us. And if there's anyone in this room who has never experienced this transforming work of Christ, I pray, Holy Spirit, tonight you would call them unto yourself. Restore them, reconcile them to the Lord and free free them from their bondage to sin. God, I pray that your conviction would fall upon us, God, in a way that is not condemning, Father, but lights a fire within us. God, I'm reminded of a quote from an old preacher who said, my desire when I get up to preach, to set my people on fire and watch and call others to watch them burn. Father, I pray that would be us tonight. I pray your Holy Spirit would fall on us in a way that ignites something within us, calls us to proclaim this beautiful message, the hope of the nations with everything we have. Be mighty amongst us, I pray in the name of Jesus.